Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Welcome to another episode, guys. Um, today we're going to be talking about West Marches style campaigns. Today we're talking to Hugh Henderson. Hugh, how's it going? Pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well. Tell us a bit about yourself, how long you've been playing and DMing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I believe I've been DMing probably since, or um, playing D&D at least, since uh, I was in elementary school way back when. I think I got my hands on some old 3.5 edition campaign books. Um, and uh, been playing Pathfinder 4E and now 5E since then. I've uh, run a couple of small games with friends, though none that have gone too far. Uh, one of the nice things about West March's campaigns, which are what we're going to be talking about today, is that they don't have to get very far. It's more about the individual stories that you get to be able to tell. So it's great for people who uh, just have 50 different one-shots that they want to run and just decide to make it all in one campaign. Excellent. Very cool. So... Let's start at the top. What is a West March style campaign? Can you just give a description on what they are and how they work? Yeah, sure. So West Marches comes from uh, an idea of taking a D&D campaign and instead of setting it in kind of one coherent story where um, you might start off in a small village and end up, you know, uh, raiding the, the boss's lair. You start out in a town and you go out into the world and explore. It's usually kind of set up in a framework of uh, players are on a new continent or they are somewhere where there is wilderness and danger out there. And it's their job as players, as adventurers, to go out and kind of find out what's there. And so challenges can be, you know, undead are attacking a small village. Could be that ruins were found that we don't know what's down in there. So it's a lot of um, individual stories and a lot of player agency there because it's up to the players to decide what they want to do. DMs will commonly post a list of adventure hooks, um, say there was a bright light in the sky or some people have asked for help. And it's up to the players to decide, get themselves together and to go out and find those places and help where they can, get what rewards they can, and then make their way back safely to town. It lends itself really well to large groups of people as well as high mortality games cool all right uh so oh, you've already covered a bit of this but what do you think a west marches game offers players and dms that that's different or maybe improved upon a standard kind of adventure uh well as i said it's, it's very much the characters get to drive drive the ship a little bit more than the dm one of the nice things for the dm is that uh it gives them a little bit more impetus to get the work done when a player uh gets together a group of players get together and decide we're going to play on this night and we're going to go after this hook. The DM kind of has to say, okay, well, I better get that dungeon done now. Yeah. So it, it lets a bit of a fire there, but it also lets the DM tell a, a wide variety of stories. It can be kind of a, an adventure of the week. And for players, it can be a lot about just very classic dungeon delving where you're just trying to get loot. You're just trying to kill monsters. It doesn't have to be a very elaborate story with a lot of intricate um, political background or anything like that. It can just be a very, uh, very fun dungeon delving, hack and slash, get the loot type adventure for them. Yeah, that that idea of the adventure of the week, I think, is the aspect that I find attractive about West Marchers games. I haven't run one yet, but I think being able to just come up with 
40 different plot hooks and then the players are just like that one sounds interesting this week and then getting to explore that for a session or two sounds sounds really interesting it also lends itself to a kind of storytelling there as well where sometimes one group of people might find say an artifact in one adventure and then maybe a week or two later a separate group might find a connecting piece and then the two groups come together and try to figure out what's going on it can create almost these piecemeal mysteries and fun puzzles amongst groups of people. So there's a lot of potential for interesting stories that don't necessarily need to be huge in scope. They could be much more personal level. I like this idea too because there are like, as me and Sean have talked about a bunch to each other at least, there are a bunch of different player types and they the type of game they like to play is often different. So it's, it's nice because you can, you know, if you have a party where, you know, there are going to be just like, we just want to fight things. We want the fights to be challenging. That's the main thing we want to do. You can build a dungeon towards them. Next week, you have a group that's a bit more roleplay heavy. You be like, okay, I'll put some social encounters in here. Maybe a few less fights. It's really nice that you can kind of change it up to fit the players that are coming to the table. And it can also help a DM, especially a new DM, like stretch those muscles that they might not have used very much or at all yet. Like, you know, oh, I need to get better at doing some roleplaying. So I'm going to put some hooks out that'll force me to get better at roleplaying if the players choose those. Yeah. Um, instead of trying to railroad or lead your players towards the stuff, you can just be like, well, if they want to, then I get to do it. And as you said, the nice thing about a high mortality game, or you mentioned high mortality games, so the nice thing about that is that, you know, if especially if you're a new DM, it's not a big deal if you accidentally kill your party. That might end up being an adventure hook for a different group or something like that. Players having to go and recover their things. It could also be kind of an interesting flavor to the encounter where... Sometimes a group might find themselves in over their heads and have to retreat and then come back. There's a lot of potential there for uh, dungeons going wrong, which is something that a lot of new DMs can be very afraid of. They try to you know, make sure that things don't go wrong, but it can sometimes be interesting when they do go wrong and, and have those adventures of coming back to those places. Another thing that's nice for new DMs as well is just the idea that uh, sometimes you feel like you need to make this really grandiose story as you said, you can really just focus on the little things and put those those character moments and those adventures out there and let players come to them. You don't have to worry about this huge overall plan. You can just come up with the things that interest you and allow your players to find them in, their, in your world. Yeah, because I think that's something that new DMs, especially ones that have been introduced through... Like, there's been an explosion of actual plays like Critical Role and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. And it can probably be really intimidating for new DMs to look at something like that and be like, I have to create that. And knowing that you could instead just throw out small hooks and have small little adventures that maybe one day end up being something grandiose and huge and epic, but you can start with just, yeah, somebody said they saw some ruins out in the forest. If you want, you can go check them out. Like, you don't have to worry about creating this plot thread that leads them from, you know, their starting town to the big god that they have to defeat at level 20. Like, you can just have fun. So, speaking about, like, starting the campaign and figuring out those those plot hooks that you might want to start with, how do you... What are some ways that you can set up a West Marches style campaign? Um, the first thing that's hugely important for West Marches is just making sure that you have a place where you can communicate everything that you need to to players and have a way for them to reach you. There's lots of tools like Discord is a great place to create a server so that everyone can ask questions and have your chats. Facebook groups are also great for having a place to store information and create events. 
that people can then say that they're going to. Just before you even start picking up dice and character sheets, just figuring out a way that everyone can stay in contact with each other and have some kind of order to the mad dash of getting a game together and getting all that information in one place. Having that groundwork first is is hugely important, especially if you're having a large group of people who might all be uh, vying for attention and a voice in the campaign. Right. Yeah, because my understanding is that with, with West Marchers, you can do a game where there's there's 40 players and it's on the players to be like, okay, I'd like to do this hook. I'm going to grab some people and like it's on the players to organize a little bit more than the DM to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, having a place like discord or facebook or wherever where the players can poke and prod other people into getting together that's definitely a good idea what are some things that are a good idea to keep in mind maybe like after you've figured out where to do that communication and you're starting to set up the world or these hooks what are some things to keep in mind uh one is the characters or the players role in the world uh their characters should be somewhat special i mean if anyone can go out into the world and start exploring it then why haven't they? So there has to be some level of danger and some kind of challenge that the characters themselves are ready to rise to. As I said before, sometimes it's seen as kind of a new continent, and maybe your players are explorers or hired mercenaries who have been brought here specifically to start taking um, taking back some of this, taking over some of this area, um, finding out what's there and making sure that it's safe to be settled. And that has its own, you know, complications where suddenly we start running into indigenous people or people who traveled here before and have already set up homes. Um, There can be ancient evils in this land or maybe the entire uh, civilization that was here at one point has gone missing and you start finding, finding out why. So there should be a reason for the players discovering these things and the players being the ones to do these things. There has to be both this risk of the world hitting back and the reason and then the player's ability to go through those hits and find what's out there. So making sure that there's that uh, that groundwork for why they're doing it, why it's them, it makes them feel a little bit special and it makes them understand their place in the world, their place in the economy, so that uh, it's not kind of unusual that... You know, there's this random band of adventurers going out and making a ton of money. And there's this guy back in town who can hardly buy bread. Why doesn't he just go out there as well? So one question I've got then is like, actually, no, it just poof, God. (laughs) Uh, What what resources do you use to, once you've started playing, to keep the players up to date with what's happened so far in the story? Uh, That can actually be a really, really big challenge, uh, especially with you know, a lot of groups coming in and doing stuff, making sure that everyone kind of knows the story so far, especially when it comes to, like, where characters are after large events. If somebody uh, somebody left town and then came back and they're losing, they're missing an arm and they're completely different outlook on life, it, you know, there should be some explanation of how that happened and um, how that changed that character. So it's really important for, for there to be kind of write-ups and explanations of what happens every session that can be really difficult if it's the dm needing to do a write-up of every single game because now they're basically writing every session twice they're writing it what their plan is and then writing it how it happened and then they've got to do that for every single one Uh, one technique that i've seen to kind of get around that is to let other people do the work for you and ask for journal entries or explanations from the perspective of people who are on those expeditions 
Yeah, something we talked about on a previous episode was the idea of in-character journals. And I I really like that idea before, and I really like it in the context of a West March-style campaign where like maybe the leader of the party whose job it is to record what happens is a semi-literate barbarian. And now you've got this like report that was, we went to place. There were things we killed. <laughs> like Versus, you know, the bard in another party who breaks this flowing expose on like yes and the sun was shining and like and that could like i feel like that would definitely help make the world that all these people are in feel even more alive because it's not just a dry just a dry account of what happened it's colored by the people who have gone on these adventures yeah and a really important thing there too is that it gets people investing in their characters and their characters role in the world there's a couple of things that i've seen where people try to incentivize that with certain bonuses that they can get in-game for doing things out of game. But I think in general, just having that kind of player-run explanation of what happens session to session, it really helps the DM and it really creates this sense of ownership of the events that happen. And honestly, like it should be the goal of any DM to create a story or a situation where when those people come back to the group and kind of type online, like, guys, you'll never guess what we found down here or like, this crazy thing happened and like we pulled this stone out of a wall and now I think maybe there's a bomb about to go off somewhere, but we're not sure. We should probably go look into that. <laughs> it creates this sense of excitement and intrigue and it gets everybody kind of working together on that. Um, so yeah, just making sure that everyone's kind of on the same page because if somebody's like, hey guys, what's going on? And the bomb goes off, it's suddenly not a fun game. Yeah. So people need to know when things are happening and what their role in it is. Yeah. I think the players taking notes and journal entries and stuff like that is, I mean, it's useful for the DM, obviously, because it saves the DM from having to do that himself. But I think it's also useful because it shows the DM what the players think happened. And that's the thing I've heard a lot from lots of experienced DMs on like online and stuff like that is often the players, like, you have this thing because you know what's happening in your head. You don't necessarily know what the players think happened all the time unless you ask them. And it's kind of, that sounds like a really good way to, like, stay in touch with what the players think is happening and either correct to that or figure out how to kind of push it towards what what's actually supposed to be happening. Yeah, like where, you know, if the players run into a, a priest in town who happens to just rub one of the players the wrong way and that player convinces all the rest of them, like, outside of the game in chat, like, yeah, I think he's a cultist. And like, like wait, what? How? What? And either going with it or reworking that character a little bit so that their main healer in town isn't somebody they're afraid of. Yeah, I can see that being really important. Yeah. So when you're running a West Marches game, it seems like... One of the things that could become difficult, especially for newer DMs, is where if the players say that they want to go on a hook and then the day before the session, like you spent a couple of days creating this encounter in the dungeon and everything, and then the day before, maybe that group falls apart because something happens and nobody can make it anymore, or that group decides, actually, we decided we want to do hook B instead. How do you switch gears and deal with the party going in the opposite direction or doing something completely different than what you would come up with. That's really tricky. Um, I, I would almost try to enforce a rule where if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. But um, there's always that risk of, of players kind of going off the railroad. I think uh, really this is advice for not only just West March's campaigns, but campaigns in general, where the DM's job is to kind of move the backdrop as players move through the world. 
And at a certain point, like in in theater, there's this kind of idea that if you make a mistake on stage, it's all right because the people in the audience have never seen this before. So to them, it's not a mistake. It's just another part of the performance. So it could be that, yeah, they want to do instead of, you know, attacking uh, the goblin fortress, they want to go after, you know, giant snakes that have infested this small village. So one thing you might be able to do is say, all right, well, you go to the village and then they seem to have been scared off or have retreated back to their lair. And you go to their lair and you find, to your surprise, it's some sort of dilapidated fortress. Huh. Who'd have thought? (laughs) So um, the, the large parts of the work, the geometry that you set down, can still be reused and that backdrop can still be reworked. And then... Uh, there's lots of resources online to create new encounters to try and rebalance that. Um, and you just kind of keep playing it with confidence and you just keep your DM screen up and, you know, roll those dice behind the screen and you maintain this illusion that this was your plan all along. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, if you've got a, a goblin fortress where one of the things where there's like a wall that's got a hole that a goblin can slip through, but the rest of the party can't unless you've got a gnome or something, then like that still works as long as you change the enemies to, yeah, like like snakes or something instead of gnolls. If you need to rework a dungeon or something that you've come up with, being able to figure out different enemies that would still work with any interesting things you've set up in that dungeon not exactly the easiest thing but probably worth taking the time to figure that out well and at the end of the day if you uh kind of miscalculate balancing the party and you know maybe there's unfortunately a pc death or something like that that's that ends up being part of the world building too you know they have to retreat because throgar died okay so when we dragged his body out and now that's a quest hook for someone else is like those guys killed Throgar. Let's let's grab another player or two, or maybe there's some that are higher level. Let's take one of them with us and let's go go figure this out. It's it's a game that has it seems like a type of game that has less like major consequence if a, play, a PC dies. Still consequence obviously, but it's less of a, since there's less of a ongoing plot where you're building hooks always on specific like specific five characters. It's not as much of a problem if you accidentally make the uh, combat more difficult than it should be or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of players dying, something I'm curious of is when you're running a Westmarch's game, how are things like resurrection is a thing in D&D? Do you ever feel you need to control access to that or make it maybe not a thing? Or like, how do you deal with like, yeah, a player died and resurrection is a thing. How does that work? Uh, well, there are certain issues that you can have where you get to a certain point where all your character or all your players are so attached to their characters that nobody leaves town without a sack full of diamonds anymore in order to, you know, cast those resurrection spells or revivify or reincarnation or what have you. There are certain systems. I believe uh, Matthew Mercer has particular rules on uh, resurrection spells where their uh, effectiveness wears off the more times you do it. So if that's something you want to limit, if you want to limit the amount that your characters are bringing themselves back to life, then yeah, I would say, you know, apply rules, apply restrictions. Maybe diamonds are much harder to find than you think. Maybe revival magic only works a certain number of times. Maybe there's a chance of it going horrifically wrong. That might be something that you want to do in order to limit the amount of times that your characters come back and make players have to make new characters or invest in a much more careful style of play. Maybe instead of their decision to go look at this castle, 
is not we're going to go in and clear the whole castle. It's we're going to go in, bust down a wall, and make a base camp. And that's going to be our jumping off point for, and this is going to be a two-session activity. So you can kind of uh, change what the objectives are and kind of create a certain, uh, certain style of gameplay. But honestly, if your characters want to, or if your players want to invest in their characters and invest in keeping them alive through revival magic or whatnot, that has its own toll associated with it. And if they want to spend the time and the resources to get to that point or get that kind of safety net, then I don't see a problem in letting them do that. It just depends on what kind of game they want to play. Right. You just mentioned like the players deciding that, you know, instead of clearing out the castle, they're going to play it a little bit safer and create a safe base camp and go from there. How do you deal with... Because uh, my understanding of Westmarch is, is it's meant to be more of a one session is they sit down, they play, and at the end of the session, they're back in town. Mm-hmm. Partially because for a DM, having to remember all the different plates that you've got spinning can become a nightmare. So how do you deal with creating encounters and sessions that you know you should be able to wrap it up in a single session versus like something that might take two or three or four sessions? Yeah, that can be very difficult. Again, with that kind of, um, instead of taking over a whole castle, creating a base camp, um, a lot of that can do with um, setting up an expectation where that's the plan to go into it. And you now have preparation. So maybe the players go in, create that space, and then a bunch of NPCs come, and they're now holding the fort as the characters return to town. So now you've created that space, and now a new group of adventurers, or the same group, if they want to come back, can move from there. One of the things, then, is also classic dungeon crawls. Can't be huge, long slogs unless you have a lot of time for one session. You really need to get the most bang out of your buck. So um, I'm not a huge fan of kind of the 100-room dungeon. I would think that if you have a room or a dungeon that's like 10, 15 rooms, maybe bring it down to five, but really make those five rooms count. Like really try to take out all of the additional things, just random hallways that don't go anywhere or places where things get slow, and really focus on making impactful moments throughout your encounters and throughout your dungeons. So that, yeah, you don't get a lot of time in these spaces, but the time that you do get there is spent doing cool things and having exciting encounters. So yeah, it's really important because sometimes you have no idea how long it's going to take players to get through a dungeon, and occasionally you have to make changes on the fly. But again, like, we've got the DM screen and we can make decisions where if the evening's getting late and they kind of come to a fork in the road, maybe that part of the dungeon is now caved in so there's like a big rock slide there okay that part of the dungeon is closed off they deal with the rest of it but maybe now oh hey remember that dungeon there's that rock slide what if we hire a couple of people to clear that out that becomes an adventure for another time Mm -hmm. so really just like being aware of what options you have in order to modify things on the fly and just keep your screen keep that illusion of just as planned going you can kind of have some wiggle room and be able to modify things as you need to in order to kind of keep your timing going. Yeah, it sounds like putting a little bit more time into creating a couple of really interesting set pieces rather than 10 or 20 good ones is where pe- where DM should be aiming for. And I, I, I lean that way as well. Like when I'm designing dungeons, I'd rather have four or five really cool rooms rather than 20 where half of them are 
The players very carefully advance through the room checking for traps, and there's nothing. Okay, cool, we can go. Mm-hmm. And it was actually one of my problems with the, the D&D starter set. The dungeon at the end is massive. It doesn't fit on a the, I can't remember, um, party. The Chessex, either of the two, like the, the small and the medium, I don't know if they have a larger size, but the dungeon doesn't fit on either of those. You need like two mats to make it work. And it's just, it is too big and too unwildly, especially if you were doing like a, a West Marches thing where actually it might work better in a West Marches thing because you could do that base camp thing where they fight their way in a certain distance and establish a base camp and some npcs come in and they build some barricades and now they've got a jumping off point for next time or a different party rather than a six-hour session in a single dungeon (laughs) yeah one thing that we've said before is this idea of west marches being kind of adventure of the week and if you think of if you think of each session of west marches as being an episode um and think about like how tv episodes are written you really just don't have time for additional minutes of nothing happening so um, if you think of it as like trying to tell a story what if you have a room that's just kind of a couple of goblins and you fight them what story are you presenting is it maybe one of those goblins 